Welcome to the Run for God Run Club, where you will find God in a runner's space. Welcome to the Run for God Run Club. This is your one stop each week to be motivated and inspired to get off the couch and onto the running trail where you can in turn inspire others to do the same. Let's learn, laugh, and leap into running together, giving God the glory for what we're able to do in His name. Amen. I am your running host, Dean Thompson. Once again, I'm joined by Run for God founder, Mitchell Hollis. Last week, we showed part one of the Dean Carnassus interview. This week, we're going to show part two. Um, what'd you think about that? I think he's fascinating. He and I, I can't wait for you to be able to talk to him this Thursday night. Absolutely. Uh, he's going to be on a Facebook Live for everybody tuning in, and you can ask your questions there. Uh, I'm sure the questions I ask have spurred on a whole other set of questions that I'm sure you're going to ask. And uh, but yeah, he's just a fascinating guy. I love talking to people who have who have done things that we all think are impossible. Yeah. Uh, and running from L.A. to New York, I think, is impossible. <laughs> but it's not because but Dean not. did it. That's right. And uh, so yeah, it was a fascinating interview. Uh, and, and Dean, if you're out there listening, thank you for taking the time. You didn't have to do this. He did not have to come on and do this with us. But it just shows you the um, the personality or the personability of, of the people in our sport they're just yeah it's not all about them yep. and he constantly points to others who who helped him not only along in this sport but um the people who who make this sport possible and in, in the um, yeah. and 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 helping to foster this sport and be an ambassador we talked about that last week absolutely um, so thank you dean and listen if you're out there listening and you have a particular question that you would like for me to ask dean email me at dean at runforgod.com and we'll try to get that uh question asked yeah uh, there's something just burning a hole that just you just gotta hear it uh and i'm let sure me know what everybody that listening has that question absolutely surely surely um, we talked last week about uh, the Badwater 135 um, running through Death Valley and up to Mount Whitney. Um, we talked about the, the Disney to New York thing that you just referenced and, and doing that live with Regis and Kathy Lee. We talked about the road to Sparta and how fascinating that is. And if you haven't, if you don't have that book, go ahead and get that ordered because it's an interesting book. Um, and there's so much more to that story of Pheidippides than we ever knew before. Um, and think about this. A runner from 2,500 years ago still has an impact on the world today. Um, so what can we all do with our running? Um, mm -hmm. If a guy can have an impact on the world 2,500 years later, um, he changed history. And, uh, and that's uh, interesting to know that a runner did that. So if you haven't seen that, go back and watch that, um, and we'll uh, we'll check out the the second part of of Dean's video right here. First, let us get a word from our sponsor, J Radio, and then we'll go on to part two of Dean Carnassus. As a Christian runner, you might find it hard to decide what to listen to while you run. If you are looking for positive and Christian music that will help you keep your pace, check out the Radioactive Station on the new J Radio. We'll take care of picking the music so that you can concentrate on your run. Plus, you can count on us to make sure that the music is uplifting and encouraging. Check out JRadio.com or download the app in your app store. What has been your favorite project? Because you, you've worked on so many incredible projects. What what would be your favorite? Wow. Uh, you know, in so many ways, running 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days was, you know, the, the pinnacle of, of my, you know, projects, if you will, just because the logistics and planning uh, was so intense. It was It went well beyond just the running. So just, you know, being able to, to put together the logistics uh, was daunting. And then to try to line up the sponsors uh, was daunting as well, because, you know, the sponsors all said yes, right out of the gate. Uh, you know, we had, to, we had to fund this thing somehow. And so I approached sponsors and every sponsor that I approached said, yes, I want to sponsor it. So now we had all these sponsors and we we're, you know, I was kind of on the hook, like, okay, well now I've got all this <laughs> sponsorship money. <laughs> uh, suppose now I die, like after, after, 
Yeah, after two marathons, it was I can't get out of bed the next day. Yeah. So there, you know, the pressure kind of mounted in that regard. Uh, but it ended up being an amazing adventure. You know, I took my family along, which, you know, I had two young kids at the time. And my mom was a retired uh, public school teacher. So she homeschooled the kids. They say that she road schooled them. So they were in a bus, a school bus, you know, uh, getting lessons every, you know, every morning and, uh, and then enjoying, you know, a different state every day and meeting different uh, kids. You know, we'd stop at schools along the way and they'd meet different kids. You know, we tried all kinds of different food. It was just, it was more than just running, well more than just running. And I, I hope I captured it in the book that it was more of a, you know, just this once in a lifetime sort of journey with your family. And you pretty much had people running with you on it because every, people think, you did an actual marathon every day, which you did. You did the distance, but it wasn't organized races every day. Did you did you have people running with you every day, though? Yeah, no, that's a really interesting point. So uh, eight of the marathons were, quote, unquote, live marathons. So I ran, like, the Chicago Marathon with 35,000 other people. I ran Marine Corps Marathon, you know, on the day of the Marine Corps Marathon. Uh, the final marathon was the New York City Marathon, which I ran, you know, with 50,000 other runners, but 42 of the races were recreated marathons. And when I say recreated, what we did is we contacted the race director for the most prominent marathon in, in that state and said, hey, on this date, when we show up, will you set up your official starting line? Will you let us follow your certified and sanctioned course and finish at your official finish line so that we had a record of actually doing a marathon? We didn't want to just like GPS, uh, you know, we wanted to have an actual legit marathon that we ran. Uh, like in Georgia, we ran the Atlanta Marathon on a, on a random Thursday. And it was incredible. And uh, we were able to obtain permits for up to 50 runners to join me at each marathon. So you could go on uh, and register just like any other mar marathon to register and come run this kind of recreated marathon on a weekday some in some random city. And I thought, wow, no one's gonna ever sign up for this. Well, after about a week, we we had hundreds of people signing up for each. So we had a, <laughs> we had waiting lists of people trying to come run these marathons. It was just such a great thing, you know, on a random day of the week to go run a marathon. And, you know, the the entire marathon wasn't, the course wasn't closed like during marathon day. Like, for instance, Dallas. You know, the Dallas Marathon goes on the freeway for part of the way. So they didn't just close the freeway for five or six hours. We had this roaming police escort that would kind of, close down intersections as we cross through. So we had to stick together as a pod of people, which made it even more fun because, you know, we were all like a group and we all supported each other. I mean, some of the faster runners had to slow down a bit to accommodate the slower runners. And some of the slower runners had to speed up so that we all stuck together so that we could get through certain intersections and, and, uh, and get on the freeway on ramps and off of freeway on ramps. So it was, it was really, uh, you know, an amazing undertaking. Yeah, I would think logistically that whoever whoever handled your logistics there must have been a, a genius because I couldn't. We we put on a race here locally, and it's it's a nightmare to to put on one race. And <laughs> imagine doing fifty in fifty days. So that's that's incredible. Hats off to your uh, logistics person there. Um, well, you know, there was the it was the same team that coordinates the Olympic torch run across the U.S. So they were kind of trained logistics oh, experts. Okay. Yeah, that they knew what they were doing, but it was still it still tested them. Yeah, yeah, wow. Well, I want to go to a, a little segment that I like to do with with people that I talk to, and I just I call it my lightning round, and it's just a, a series of short questions, um, and, and I just want to get your reaction to them. I've read many times, and I've heard many times that you don't own a car. Why is that? <laughs> Well, I, ha I was sponsored by Volkswagen, and, but I was never using the car. Uh, and I felt like it was disingenuous to keep the sponsorship going. So I gave him back the car. And that was like 10 years ago. And I thought, I just haven't gotten around to buying a car. And all of a sudden, I didn't really need a car. I mean, I just found myself running everywhere. It was a, a great way to kind of <laughs> multitask, I guess. I have different size backpacks that I put on depending on, you know, if I need to go to the bank or if I need to go grocery shopping. Uh, so I just basically run everywhere. And, you know, when I have meetings in San Francisco, which is a, uh, about 15 miles from my house, you know, I typically leave two and a half hours early. 
So I just need to plan my day a little bit better, but I'll run in, you know, have a meeting and then uh, turn around and run home. <laughs> it was my way of, you know, kind of, we all talk about uh, our commitment to the environment and, you know, I'm trying to do everything I can. And this was just a very uh, visible way of honoring that commitment. It's just, I'm not going to drive. Why yeah. drive? And it, you know, it's, it's easier now I've got to admit with, you know, Uber and Lyft. Yeah. But back in the day there was, you know, there was no option like that. So I was really forced to run everywhere. Wow. That's incredible. So are you still competing? <laughs> I was, <laughs> I had a pretty, uh, pretty active, um, race calendar, uh, this year. Yeah. And now I have not a single race this year. Uh, so it's amazing how quickly think, you know, I ran the Napa Valley marathon, uh, the first of March and then, it just, everything shut down, as you know. So uh, I'm, I will be competing when competition comes back online. Right. And hopefully that'll be soon. Um, I told my wife. The yeah, as a race director, I'm sure. I'm just, I'm just ready to go to a restaurant. I'm a, it's a, I've learned to cook a lot, but uh, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go out to eat. Um, how about new projects? Do you have any new projects or books or, or things that are on the horizon? Yeah, so I'm uh, working on my uh, sixth book, actually. So I'm writing, I'm finishing another book right now. Um, I'm also uh, writing the screenplay for my first book, Ultra Marathon Man, which is going to be made into a movie. So mm -hmm. motion picture rights, the book were auctioned off, and I'm helping um, the writer actually uh, write the movie script. So uh, that's really exciting to me because it's, kind of, it's kind of something new and, and different uh, that I'm getting to uh, explore um, like I said, I had a lot of travel plans this year. <laughs> yeah, I was planning on doing you know some marathons in almost every country of the world, and um, that you know obviously is is now dependent on God, right? I don't mm -hmm. I don't know when that's going to open back up. I mean, you know, to your point, getting to a local restaurant is one thing. You know, getting on a plane and flying internationally is a whole nother level. Yeah, yeah. So I, I haven't heard about the the screenplay. So who who do you envision? playing the role of Dean Carnassus. <laughs> I don't, you know, they've, they've asked me, do I want to play a role? And I think I'd, I'd like to play one of my cross country coach coaches, Yeah. you know, because I'm obviously not, you know, the story, when the story was written, I was a much younger man, but um, I don't know, like there's, there's a number of um, actors that have been approached and a few of them have said they're very interested. Uh, and I'm really not supposed to say their names, yeah, but they, you know, they read the book and, and, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of, of the younger male athletes. I mean, actors are athletes. They're very fit. And, you know, the one stipulation I put in the contract um, in, uh, in signing off on the motion picture rights was that everyone who's attached to this film, uh, whether it be, you know, an extra or, you know, a producer or especially the main actors and actresses, they have to be a runner. Because oh, wow. I said for it to be an authentic movie, you know, it'd be really easy for Hollywood to do a really dumb running movie, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I'm a surfer as well. And like every surfing movie that comes out, if you're a real surfer, you look at it and you go, that's so Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. And I thought the only way to, you know, one way to ensure that doesn't happen is to make sure everyone on set is a runner because we can relate to each other, right? We've, uh, we've all struggled. We've all suffered. Uh, we know what it's like to overcome adversity. And I think it just gives you a different color on life. Right. Right. You, you, you made a comment in, um, in an interview that I watched, you call yourself an opportunistic trainer. And I, I found that term very intriguing. Explain to everybody what you mean by an opportunistic trainer. You know, well, everything I do is viewed through the lens of being the best animal I can be. Mm -hmm. So that means um, training throughout the course of the day. Uh, doing, you know, if I've got 15 minutes, I'll do a, this, this, uh, hit routine I have, you know, high intensity interval training yeah. that involves just, just body weight, push ups, sit ups, uh, chair dips and burpees. <laughs> Lots of burpees. I know everyone loves burpees. Everybody loves burpees. Um, yeah. And, you know, like when I'm writing my books and doing my email and everything, I'm always on my feet, uh, bouncing around. Uh, even today, I notice you're sitting down. Shame, shame. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm standing right now doing the interview. I have actually so. looked at the Vera desk, the ones that that come up. That's uh, those are pretty cool. 
I highly encourage it. Whatever you can do. I mean, I'm, I, uh, you know, I did a little video. If you've got an ironing board, you know, I know you're trapped at home, pull out an ironing board and that becomes your standing desk. So I encourage you to stand all day. I'm, see, I'm bouncing on my toes. So you're yeah. constantly moving and that constant movement, you know, if I've got an hour, you know, if I've got 45 minutes, uh, I'll go for a quick run. It does, you don't have to go far as long as you go fast. Right. So any opportunity that presents, uh, I'm trying to trying to work out and and uh, and be the best animal I can. And that's what I meant by being an opportunistic trainer. Yeah, yeah, and it makes sense because I mean, obviously, we one of the biggest excuses we hear for for not getting my run in or whatever is I I just don't have time. Um, and and I always tell people <laughs> you've got to you've got to schedule it. Just like if if it were a meeting and you you put that in your calendar schedule your run but but I also like your take where you know if you have 20 minutes between meetings go get a run in um, and that, that's a great way to look at it just fit it in where you can if you if you don't schedule it then just find the time during the day and because uh, yeah that's the biggest and I, you know and yeah and I, I actually find it's it's quite an incentive when you you know you've got that clock ticking like okay the meeting starts in half an hour I gotta go right. uh, it gives you like it gives you a finish line already it somehow makes it more approachable. Right. Right. Yeah. We were actually on the way home yesterday. My wife and I had been somewhere and I, I had on cargo shorts and a t-shirt and I knew I had to get home to do something. So I had her drop me off several miles from the house and I just ran home. So all my neighbors are seeing me running down the road in cargo <laughs> shorts, but it's something I had to do. So yeah, you're, you're right. Get it in when you can. Um, going back to your 50, 50 book, uh, you, you you had in um, in your bio that um, that was written with Matt Fitzgerald and and I've re I've read a book by Matt called How Bad Do You Want It. Um, it's a great book that he wrote talking about the mental side of sport and and he he used several different sports. Um, but give us a little bit of insight on how much you feel that mental toughness plays into our sport because I feel like it's a lot and you read a lot of different perspectives on this, but I would love to hear your perspective. Uh, yeah, no, I think mental, mental toughness is, is more than physical toughness. Uh, you know, there's a saying, there's a race I do called the Western States 100 mile endurance run. Right. And there's a famous saying there that you run the first 50 miles with your legs and the next 50 miles with your mind. Right. So, you know, when I stand on the line of a starting line of, a, of an ultra marathon, you look around the crowd and, you know, some of the people don't look to be the fittest on earth. I mean, you look at some of the people and you're like, wow, they don't, they don't look all that fit. They're tough yeah. and they're stubborn and they will not stop. And I think those qualities are more important than physical fitness, especially when you move to further and further distances. Right. Right. So last question we have, um, as part of run for God, obviously we, the 5k challenge teaches people who have never run. It takes them to their first 5k, but then we have our coaches who are, are runners of all abilities, some seasoned and um, some who are actually working toward their first 5k. What would be, let's say three pieces of advice that you would give people who are, are in the run for God family um, whether they're coaches or they're, or they're brand new to the sport, what would be three pieces of advice that you would give to the run for God family? Uh, well, you know, when I agreed to this uh, interview, I was told there'd be no math. <laughs> <laughs> three. I can't even count to two these days, let alone three, <laughs> but you know, I would say um, first and foremost, uh, try to live in the moment and try to be in the here and now. Uh, especially when things get difficult. Um, right. You know, when you're running uh, your first 5K, there'll be a point where you'll just say, I, I don't know if I can make it. Like, this hurts so bad. And you'll be looking for the next mile marker, the next kilometer marker, thinking, when is this coming up? When is this coming up? Don't do that. Just say, I'm going to take my next step to the best of my ability. And then my next step to the best of my ability. So just be really in the moment, be present and be now. Um, that's hard to do. I mean, we're always... Our minds are active, right? Even as you're listening to me, you're probably thinking about other things or you're reflecting on the past. Try not to do that. Just try to focus on your next step and your next step and your next step. So that's, that's uh, one, one approach. Um, second, I would say that um, 
misery loves cutlery. <laughs> so if you're miserable, a lot of times put a gel pack in your mouth. Sometimes you're just, you're hungry. And uh, just having something in your mouth, a little bit of sweetness can, can pep you up. And, you know, the other thing uh, that I would say is invest in a good pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. Because if you have good fitting shoes, uh, it's really helpful all the way around. Right. That's just some practice. That's a practical point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dean, it has been, uh, you gave me 45 minutes. It's been 43 <laughs> minutes. So, uh, so we hit our goal, but, uh, I just want to say from a personal note, thank you for, for the ambassador that you've been to the sport. Um, I have followed you ever since I started running and, and I hope that you will continue to do what you do, which is inspire people to get active. Um, you, you've got me thinking right now that I need to go get my ironing board and, and you need to be standing up, <laughs> but, uh, I want to thank you for your time and, and all that you've done and, and, and what you mean to, um, a lot of our coaches, we have 4,500 coaches around the world and, and many of them know exactly who you are. And, uh, I want to thank you for being a, an inspiration to everybody. And, um, if you ever need us for anything, then feel free to reach out and, and thank you for your time. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I look forward to the day we can all share some footsteps together. Uh, that that's going to be a glorious moment. There is power in people's stories. What I did need and what I was begging for was a relationship that I didn't know that I, I needed and only God could give it to me. I started hearing all these stories that just made me realize this was the right move. I'm here to give these people hope through what Christ can do in their life. Your story can help encourage others around the country, just like these stories have. You can walk through a simple process of sharing your story with the Big Share app. Download the Big Share app in your app store to start sharing hope with others. Okay, we're back. So, Let me ask this. Do you think we see him as more or less crazy based on talking to him one-on-one? What do you think? (laughs) Probably more because (laughs) it's like it's no big deal. I mean, I shouldn't say that. It's like, and I'm sure he's shared these stories so many times that um, he's got them down pat, but it's, um, yeah, I've run the... Badwater 135 10 times. It, it's because there's so many of these feats that he's accomplished that one just overshadows the other. And I, I was just thinking on the before we went to the interview, you know, there's a race that he's done that some people in the ultra marathon world consider it the pinnacle of the sport. And we haven't even talked about it. And it's the Western States 100. Yeah. We talk about running through Death Valley. There's an ultra marathon that runs through the Colorado Rockies, the Rocky Mountains, yeah. where you're ascending and descending thousands and thousands of feet. And some people consider that to be one of the greatest uh, ultra marathons of all time. And it's like that gets glanced over <laughs> in his story. So that just that shows you the magnitude of the accomplishments that Dean has had. Yeah, yeah. So many things that he's done. If you've if you haven't read any of his books or you don't know about Dean, research him a little bit. He's, a, he's an interesting guy in the things that he's done. And you mentioned last time, and one of the things you didn't talk about in the interview was how he would run and have the pizza guy meet him at a particular corner, that's uh, eat a story. pizza, and then keep running. And uh, I, I just I think that's a, a fascinating uh, – it tells you a lot about his personality. Could you imagine being the Domino's guy answering the phone? <laughs> Sir, what would you like this delivered? Well, by the time you get here, I'll probably be at First Street and Elm Street or something like that. And the guy's got to be thinking, this is either a joke or this guy's really crazy. But yeah, he talk, I mean, he talks about in his book that he would run with his credit card. And yeah. know, if he needed to stop for a quick dinner or things like that, he had to. I'm sure now everybody knows because he does run everywhere. You know, we talk about that he doesn't even own a car and we maybe get to that. Um, but if he's got different size book bags and if depending on what he's doing for the day, he lives just outside of San Francisco. Uh, I think he said 15 miles. And, uh, if he's got a meeting downtown, he just leaves two and a half hours early. And I, <laughs> what? <laughs> Cause I start thinking about the logistics of, okay, he's going to be sweating when he gets there. If it's raining, he's going to be soaking wet, but he's just learned to adapt with all that. And I'm sure yeah. the, the people in the meetings, they, here's 
here comes crazy Dean. Uh, I see him rolling in right now. Uh, it, it makes me think about the excuses that we use to why we can't do things. Exactly. And then you think about the logistics of not having a car right. and think about what you have to do for that. It, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> you start off this second half of the interview by asking him about his projects mm-hmm. uh, and, and maybe what some of the most memorable projects are. And um, it seemed like he doesn't get asked that question a lot. Uh, because he was kind of he had to think about it for a minute but then he comes up and he with this he he believes that this 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days was probably one of the biggest undertakings that he had ever done isn't that amazing to think about the logistics of of everything that he had to do because you think about the idea of running 50 marathons in 50 days is tough enough I mean, I think about the idea of just getting up, and let's just say we have a marathon course outside my door, and I, I just get up, and I go outside and run 26.2 miles every day. Yeah. Okay, that's tough. Now you're thinking about, okay, now we're going to go to a different place every time. Oh, oh, oh and it's going to be in a different state every time. Right. Oh, and I'm going to take my family with me. Yeah. And we're going to, what he called, road school the kids. <laughs> yeah, I like that. A lot of the way. Uh, they're going to take time to stop at different schools and talk with different people and um, eat local food and all of those things. Think about how complicated that whole endeavor was. Well, and not only that, but I didn't know this until he started talking about Atlanta. But he took he ran the courses of the largest marathon in each state. Mm-hmm. So that tells you he's in big cities for all of these. Think about the log- think about the logistics of what it takes to put on the Atlanta Marathon or the the New York City Marathon, he's doing that 50 days in a row. And a lot of times he's, he's getting these permits for some people to run with him, but these aren't traffic-free places when he's running. Oh, no, yeah. Um, so you've got the logistics of not only am I doing this 50 days in a row, not only am I dog tired not only am i doing all the press but i'm having to worry about getting run over by cars i assumed i did i mean i knew about this and i've read part of the 50 50 50 but i didn't realize it was the biggest marathons in each state which is which is i just thought they went out and picked 26.2 miles in rural georgia or tennessee or wherever they were no (laughs) he took these certified courses and ran those and I mean, think about running in downtown Atlanta at two o'clock in the afternoon. That's yeah. got to be a nightmare. Cause you know it. You're, you're, it's not cons- constant running because they didn't close these courses for him. Yeah. So you've got crosswalks and traffic and yeah, people in these cities who are blowing their horns at you. And, and he's got uh, 50 people in tow. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah. And, and he said he, he actually used the people who – uh, did the torture relay, which yeah. um, that was a smart move on his part. Boy, no kidding. Yeah. If there's anybody that can do it, those yeah. those guys, uh, I don't know who did that, but that, that's, yeah, that's amazing. And he talked about having a coach. He talked about Matt Fitzgerald kind of helping him with that. And, of course, we know Matt Fitzgerald from several publications. He's right. written some really, really good books. Um, and then he had a coaching background. And you, you think about a guy like Dean who just, you know, decides one day to go out and run 30 miles one night when he's drunk in a bar yeah. and doing crazy stuff like that. And you think, well, a guy like that doesn't need a coach. Right. <laughs> but, Probably not disciplined to listen to a coach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah, I thought that was fascinating. And yeah, Matt Fitzgerald, we're, we're, we're big fans of his. Yeah, absolutely. He's got several books that are, that are really, really good. He, and he said, you know, eight of them were actual races. And so – there was probably some pretty good hoopla and fanfare around those particular races. Yeah, and I do remember some of those. That that was a. I, I'm sure that made it. Um, that made it easier to do on his part. Oh, had to be. Had to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just the energy you draw from the the crowd around you. Um, and I think he said he finished with New York, the New York Marathon. Yeah. Uh, which is, uh, you know, I've never run the New York Marathon, but I sure do want to because that's such a. It's an iconic race, and yeah. uh, certainly need to do that someday. Um, and then the, the whole idea of these people showing up, and he talked about people show up on a random Thursday morning, and he didn't know that anybody would show up, and he had more people request to, to, to be able to run with him than he could actually fulfill. Uh, but I can see that. 
He can't see that, maybe, but I can see that. Yeah. If I knew he was going to be in Dalton and I get a chance oh, to run with sure. him, yeah. I would be signed up. Yeah, <laughs> even if we weren't, even if we didn't get in, we'd probably trying to fit. We'd accidentally be running the same time yeah. as him and <laughs> and get into that group. But yeah, I mean, it, the vision of that, the picture of that, I have in my mind, and we talked about this last week, is Forrest Gump. <laughs> you know, the the longer Forrest yeah. Gump went, the more and more and the bigger crowd they got with him. Yeah. <laughs> And we all know the end of the story. He just stopped and turned around and went home. Uh, Dean hasn't stopped. But, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's just a fascinating story. Maybe one day that's how he'll stop. Maybe that's how he'll end his career. You yeah. know, Ryan Hall talked about leaving his shoes on the track. Yeah. You know, maybe Dean will grow his beard out and hair long and recreate pull, that. Pull a forest gun. Yeah, yeah. Well, we already talked about him uh, not owning a car. But not only did he not own a car, but he was sponsored by a car company and then returned the car. They gave him a car. They gave him one. And he said it just felt disingenuous. Yeah. And kind of hypocritical on his part that, because he, I think in another interview I read where he, he, he owned it and I think he drove it a handful of times and he just, it sat in the garage and he thought, I don't need this. And he got rid of that sponsorship because it just, it was just disingenuous and, yeah, and he doesn't live in, in downtown San Francisco like we talked. He lives about 15 miles outside of San Francisco. So, um, But he t- he talks about he had different size backpacks depending on what he was going in town to do, whether he was going to the bank or get groceries. And um, How do you get groceries? I, I, How, I mean, I'm trying to figure that one out. Is He, he can only get – if he lives that far away from a grocery store and he's going to get groceries, he's got to go – Three times a week to get groceries because yeah. you can't you can't it's fit about that much a in a gallon of milk. I mean, I don't know if he drinks milk or not, but I mean, that's a lot of weight. Well, he's got to have some liquid, surely, yeah. in there. So, uh, and, yeah. and going to the bank. I mean, I'm sure everybody around that area is used to him now. But I, I remember when when we were training for the treadmill marathon, the guy I was training with, we would start at my house, and the the local Chick Fil A from my house was about 15 miles away, and we would run to Chick Fil A go in, sit down and eat, and run back. And the looks that we got <laughs> walking into Chick-fil-A completely drenched from head to toe. It's lunch hour. You know, business people are coming in and, and getting their food. And here are these two guys that look like death warmed over. And, of course, I'm sure Dean doesn't. He he, he probably looks a little more presentable because uh, he's he's better at it than we were. We were just – we were dead tired by that point. Um, and so, yeah, I just think about the people that see him that don't know who he is and think, who is this crazy guy? Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine the people who have – they have no idea the accomplishments that that guy has, and he just looks like some – I mean, he got to sometimes look almost like a bum coming in, you know, yeah. uh, off, yeah. the ro- off the road like that. So yeah. Yeah, and you asked him about is he still competing, and of course he said, "Well, he hopes to when right. it's time time to get back to it." Yeah, I think his schedule's been cleared <laughs> so far this year, like all of ours. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully we get back to that that soon. Um, and and I, I thought about uh, the competitions and the things that that he's in, and here's one of the things we started off. Last week, we talked a little bit about ultra running and something that's different about ultra running than other distances is there are a fair number of ultra races where women make up a good portion of the top echelon Mm -hmm. of the fields Um, because it seems the longer we go, the more equal we are physically Right. um, because women's bodies are built differently than, than men. And I think that's an interesting thing that... There are some pretty sizable ultramarathons out there that are being won by women. Right. Uh, so that's, I, I just think that's interesting. Um, that that performance gap that is fairly large in a, a uh, although the marathon's getting closer and closer. Yeah. Uh, it's down to what a little over ten minutes now. Yeah. Uh, at one time it was much larger than that. So, uh, but. Women are finding they can do more and more and more and more. And more women are getting into ultra marathons uh, and marathons. Women make up uh, almost 40% of marathon fields now. Um, at one time, uh, well, 
I don't know if you haven't, if you've never seen the story of uh, the first woman, uh, Catherine Switzer, at the Boston Marathon. Mm-hmm. Very interesting story. I mean, yeah. it wasn't until the 80s that the Boston Marathon allowed women in at all. Mm-hmm. And now they're 40% the people that are there yeah, and you know the run for god family many people don't know this but the run for god family is 60 percent female yeah yeah and uh so yeah hats off to to them i know there's a lot out there that can run way faster than i can yeah so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah yeah um and he talked about some new projects and he talked about working on his sixth book uh that's that's a good bit of of writing to get in six books, but uh, I'm interested in this this new one that he's talking about. Uh, and it, but he talked about writing this screenplay, and so they're going to do a movie on this 50, 50, 50, 50 marathons and fifty states and fifty days thing. And I am fascinated to see that one. Yeah, to see the behind the scenes and the logistics that'll be yeah as interesting as I mean the running is incredible, but the logistics behind that will be incredible to see how all that took place. And you asked him who would play him in a movie. Yeah. And, and I, I, of course, I, and I understand why he can't say because they probably, they've already been talking with some folks. And, I was hoping he was going to say Tom Hanks. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Forrest Gump. Uh, yeah. That's, uh, it'll be interesting to see who they, yeah. who they do choose. But he mentioned that he wanted all of the uh, folks in the movie to be runners. Right. Because he wants it to be authentic. Authentic. And, I think that's a neat idea uh, to do that because yeah, we've, we've all seen yeah. running movies where there's the folks in it are clearly not runners. That can't happen. And I don't think there, I don't know. I can't think of a running movie out there where at least a portion is uh, far fetched. What was, was, was clearly not a runner. Right. Um, I think about, um, well, there's, I don't even want to get into the, the movies. Yeah. But there's a there's a bunch of running movies out there, and and nearly every one of them. Uh, yeah, and I think it depends on the audience that the 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 movie companies are going toward. You know, some that's, of these that's are true. they're kind of going for the blockbuster type. You know, it's it's all about the the storyline, and and the, there's a there's a angle to it. Yeah. Um, but it's obvious that Dean wants this to be a purist. Yeah. He, he wants everything to be accurate. It's more from a documentary standpoint. I think. Uh, he didn't really get into that, but from just the sound of wanting everybody to be runners, well, you know, there's not a ton of great actors who are also great runners out there. So yeah. that's going to kind of narrow his field, but it lets me know that he's wanting this to be a very accurate portrayal yeah. of the sport, which is, is hats off to him for that. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, he talked <laughs> He talked about being an opportunistic <laughs> trainer. I still At, haven't ordered my stand-up desk yeah. yet. <laughs> He called you out. He for, did. I was like, "Wow, you know, I need to stand up." I kind of started feeling inadequate sitting down, yeah. and uh, he was obvious that he was standing because he was bouncing around. I don't know if you noticed. If I you watched the video, yeah. he could not stand still yeah. uh, during this interview, and um, so yeah, I need to go order me a, a Vera desk and and start standing. But uh, but yeah, it was fascinating for him to talk about how he, we have these excuses. Mm-hmm. Everybody has excuses you uh you talked about that you were going to do a track workout the other night and it was late before you got out and you thought i'm just gonna go out and do an easy run well that was an excuse because you didn't have a track and and you said that came to my mind and so i i took an opportunity and i did my track workout on a road and that's what he's saying is so many times we get hung up on schedules and structure of our day that we say there's not room for a workout there's not room for training and what he was saying is there's always room he's training he was training during that interview he was standing up moving around um and that's great maybe we should start doing this interview standing up maybe would be proud of us he would um but yeah making making the best of every little opportunity i I, did i say this in the interview i think when we were talking it was just a couple days earlier i was having i knew i was going to be getting home late and I wouldn't, there was a chance I wasn't going to get my run in. And so my, I got my wife to drop me off a few miles from the house on our way home. And I got my run in and my cargo shorts. Uh, I wasn't dressed to run, but sometimes that don't matter. We always joke about a young lady we had. And she came to a track practice one day and, and we said, why, why are you wearing blue jeans? She said, I, I'm, 
I'm not going to run today. And we kind of guilted her. It was a time mile day. And she got a PR in blue jeans. <laughs> yeah. uh, so yeah. there are no excuses. Yeah. I mean, there are legitimate reasons sometimes. But when it comes to excuses, there are no excuses yeah. for not getting your training in. Yeah. He, he makes the comment that he wants to be the best animal he can be, which I think is an interesting way to look at himself. Uh, he looks at he takes responsibility for not only for himself, but for those around him and the environment and everything else very, very seriously. Yeah. And you can tell that he feels like, uh, you know, God's given him something and he needs to always be nurturing that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's what he means by be the best animal is mm-hmm. every opportunity. He talks about you know doing burpees in between doing something else. And uh, I just think that's uh, fascinating to uh to be able to do that to to have the energy i guess to do that i mean sometimes you just want to sit sometimes you just want to yeah and I, I i don't know why this vision popped in my head he didn't say he does this but i'm just imagining this guy running into town with a backpack on 15 miles to go to the bank he's in the bank and the teller says Mr. Knashis, it'll be just a few minutes before your transaction is done, and I could just see him jumping down the floor and start doing burpees in the bank. I mean, but that's the commit. That's the level of commitment that he has yeah. um, to do what it takes whenever he's got time. Because his time, a lot of times, the fifty-fifty-fifty. So much of his time was filled up with interviews and press and doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was being shown on Regis and, and Kelly or, or whatever the show is. Um, so there's so much outside the sport, you know, runners, we're not like, you know, the, t- the top echelon of runners and triathletes and people in the endurance world, people think they have this, this entourage with them. You know, I'll never forget. I met the world champion female Ironman, Miranda Carfrey. She came into town and we, we, she, um. She was in town for the Chattanooga Ironman, and she's the world champion. And I was so excited to get to meet her, and, and our triathlon team was going to be meeting her. And, and I'll never forget, she called me the day before and said, Hey, Mitchell, um, there's something wrong with my bike. Do you know a bike mechanic? And I remember thinking, this is the world champion. I, I assume that she came to town with an agent, with a mechanic, and with two or three other people, because she's the world champion, but we don't have that luxury. These This sport doesn't necessarily have that luxury, so you, you can't really farm this out to other people to do. They're not only the world champion. Dean is not only the, the greatest ultra runner, potentially, of all time, but there's so much else that's going on in their lives that we don't see, and that's why it's so impressive. Yeah, uh, Some of these things that he's done is because that's only a part of his day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you asked him about mental toughness and and, uh, mental toughness. He talked about that being just as important. And for an ultramarathoner, gosh, mental toughness is just about everything, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the mental side of just that grind. Yeah. The mental side of continuing to to be the best animal he can be, as he puts it, uh, has got to be daunting sometimes just to try to keep that up. Yeah, it was once told to me that if you can run a marathon, you can run 100 miles so long as you think you can. Yeah. And that's yeah. the difference. Whether you – we talk about it, is it Henry Ford? Uh, yeah. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that – go back up to, to to Matt Fitzgerald's book. You know, go get that book. Um, what is the name of his book? Uh, How bad do you want it? How bad it? do you want it? It's – that's a great book. While we're talking yes. about books, that's an incredible read where it, it talks about the mental side of our of endurance sports in general. Not just endurance sports, the mental side of sport. Yeah. And he comes at it from so many different angles and how important it is. Yeah, yeah it's great. You asked him three things that just he would he would just offer as as uh advice to the average runner and he came up with those three things. And the first one he said was live in the moment, especially when things are difficult. And we find that so hard to do, don't we? Mm-hmm. My goodness. We At, don't want to be there a lot of times. Yeah. When it's hard and it's tough and we we start, our mind starts going to all the other things we could be doing or the reasons we need to stop. And and basically he's saying embrace that. Yeah. You know, you use that and learn from it. And, and as Christians, uh, living in the moment is so important 
because there are times where God is talking to us and he's trying to prod us to do things in the moment and we're missing it mm-hmm. because we're worried about the next thing right. or we're worried about I can't I can't let this lapse or I, whatever the, the excuse is that we can't be be in the moment because we're thinking about something else that has to be done mm-hmm. or another part of the schedule. Right. I think living in the moment is something that we all struggle with from time to time. Yeah. For sure, I do. Yeah, um, we're always thinking about that that next thing. I, you know, I, I I'm fascinated. And I've seen. It's funny that I'm saying I've seen pictures of this before, um, or I've I've seen pictures of how this takes place. But some grand thing will happen, either in nature or or in sport or something, and people didn't get even though they're there. They don't get to witness it in person because what have they got up? Yeah. They're holding their phones up and you'll hear them say, I've heard them say before. Yeah. I missed it. Got it on film. Yeah. But you can go Google it anywhere and find it on film. But so many times we, we're we not there. You know, we need, sometimes we just need to put our phones down yeah. and enjoy what's right in front of us, whether that's our spouse or whether that's nature or whether that's what God's trying to show to us. So many times these computer screens, we've got them right in front of us right now. And so many times we just need to be more like Dean and just get rid of all of it um, and and enjoy the process. Unplug occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. He he. I love the phrase he used: "Misery loves cutlery." I've never heard that. I never have heard that either. but he talks about how sometimes, you know, when you're just not feeling well, you just need to eat something. And he talked about, you know, obviously you want to eat things that are good for you. Yeah. Uh, That's not typically what I eat, though. And no. It's misery. It's, yeah. it's ice cream and yeah. whatever. Nutter butter. Nutter butter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Reese's peanut butter cups. Is my yeah. yeah. Something um, like that. Uh, but I thought that was an interesting comment. But that's number two on his list. Number two on his that's list. That's very interesting. So, yeah. Well. I mean, that, when you run as many miles as he does, he's 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 constantly thinking about food. He has to be. Yeah. He has to get in a ton of calories. Exactly. My goodness. And then he said, of course, shoes. And we all know that shoes mm-hmm. are incredibly important. And, and from a practical standpoint, shoes are, are critically. It's, it's like, um, you know, to me for running, shoes are sort of like our Bible. It's the it's the foundation of what we do. And if we don't base what we do on the Bible, we are not going to be successful Christians. If we don't have a good pair of running shoes, we're not going to be successful runners. They, they, they're kind of similar, aren't they? I have a question for you to ask him Thursday night. How many pairs of shoes does he go through in a year? That would be interesting, yeah. It's got to be a lot. It does. It's probably how many shoes, pairs of shoes do you go through in a month is probably the more appropriate question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, if you don't, yeah. if you think about that, ask him that. I'd yeah. love to know that. Yeah, we need to know that. Need to know that question. So, he talked about how you were such a good host. That was nice of him to compliment you, but it also shows how gracious Dean is, mm-hmm. um, and just the idea that he would even do this, and then and then compliment you on what you were doing. I thought was great. Um, again, we talked about this at the beginning of all of this that he's such a great ambassador mm-hmm. to the sport. But he's more than just an ambassador to the running community. I think he's he inspires people just to be active. Yeah. Because I think I've heard him on in other of course we're talking about running specifically with him because that's what he does mostly. But I think he's more of an advocate for just be yep. the best animal you can be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh that's great. Um and we we all have platforms. One of the things that we've talked about on this podcast before is that we all have a platform and they're all in different places. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this one we're using right now, but everybody out there has a different platform and a different place to, for their voice to be heard. Um, and, and our, our platform's not as big as Dean's is. Yeah. He's got a bigger platform than us. That's great. Um, and it's great that he would share that with us. Uh, and, and some, what, what, some, Go ahead. Sometimes those platforms are just small. Sometimes it's a group of five people, but that five people are important. Yeah. And and I, I was kind of going down the road of, you know, his story. That's yes, we love to hear about the feats and the and the big things that Dean has done, but the reason we interview Dean is because he has a story. 
Mm-hmm. And sure, Dean has done some incredible things, but his story doesn't resonate with some people. But the key is, we all have a story that resonates with someone. That's right. Um, and and I see that already in this run club. You know, I, I kind of reached out to the lady the other day and said, you may need to be a guest host because her story just, I can tell it will resonate with so many people. So many, be, so many people will be inspired with her story, uh, a, a seemingly uninteresting story probably to her, but I see it through a different lens. And I say, so many people will, will relate to your story when they don't relate to Dean Carnassus's story. Yeah. Uh, and they may be inspired more by this person than this person. So that's why we continue to beat the drum of cultivate your story. You know, figure out what your story is, what your testimony is, how you came to know Christ, how you came to know running. And and culminate your your story or your testimony and share that with people. Yeah. Um, and we have a platform here on Run Club where you can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, the the floor is open on the Run Club forum. Um, and it's very active. And, and you could reach people on that forum. And we want you to do that. Like I said, the floor is open and it's it's welcome for anybody to share. And once again, you can share your story directly through, exactly. the, through the Devotions tab on Run And we'll be your mouthpiece. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and another way you can do that is by becoming an instructor. We talked about that. And you can, uh, that for a lot of people, we know a lot of instructors who, they, that's who they've become. They've right. become the running person in their community who shares Christ. Uh, and, and there's a lot of folks out there right now that could be that person if they chose to. Right. And uh, maybe you're one of those people. And if you are, um, use the platform that God gives you. Um, we hope that you have enjoyed uh, all that Dean has shared with you. We hope that uh, you've enjoyed the interview. We hope you're enjoying everything that we're doing through Run Club. We certainly want to improve and get better at what we're doing. If you have ideas, certainly let us know what those are. There's different ways to get in touch with us. Get in touch with us. Let us know. In the meantime, share Run Club with others. Let them know about Run Club and let them know how much of an inspiration it is to you. Yeah. Uh, because when people hear your story and about how it inspires you, that will get others on board and the bigger our group i think the more exciting it'll be so uh, go out there and and share run club with others Uh, so with that we'll tie this thing up with dean and we'll be looking for the next great person to interview on uh, and, and we'll have something coming up hopefully before too long so now just go out there and shine your light good word dean For more information about the Run For God ministry, go to runforgod.com. If you have questions about your salvation, click on the Peace With God tab. There's nothing more important. Thanks for joining us today.